Good, e- good evening and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. We're online at independent.org, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. You can also find our May print edition across the city in our red and white news boxes in more than 60 public libraries, as well as independent bookstores, cafes, social movement centers, and other venues. I'm joined by my co-host, Amber Gagarian. Hi, John. It's great to be with here with you and all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. Yes, so we have another uh, packed show today with uh, lots of great uh, guests and, and topics. Uh, in our opening segment, we're going to delve further into the uh, controversy uh, that has uh, struck uh, the CUNY uh, Law School, uh, a really uh, special uh a law school here in this city uh, that, that focuses on public interest law. Uh, the, the commencement uh, address that was given uh, in May uh, by Fatima Muhammad uh, set off uh, a lot of criticism because she criticized both the NYPD and Israel and its uh, whole Zionist project. And uh, so we're going to get into that some more. And then in the second half, of the of the show we're going to talk with an organizer from the emergency worker organizing committee ewok which has really been in the thick of some amazing uh, labor organizing campaigns as interest in labor unions has surged in the last few years uh, they've been doing some amazing work and they have um, some trainings coming up we're going to hear about that uh, but first we're going to uh, turn to cuny and the fight uh, for palestinian liberation amba you've been following this story closely Yeah, absolutely. So on May 12th, Fatima Mohammed called out Israel's human rights violations and crimes against Palestinians during her commencement speech at CUNY Law. She was elected to speak by her fellow students. So let's listen to some of selected portions of that speech and we'll explain more after that. Like many of you, I chose CUNY School of Law for its articulated mission to be law in the service of human needs. One of very few legal institutions created to recognize that the law is a manifestation of white supremacy that continues to oppress and suppress people in this nation and around the world. In this moment of celebrating who we are, I want to celebrate CUNY Law as one of the few, if not the only law school, to make a public statement defending the right of its students to organize and speak out against Israeli settler colonialism. (laughs) That this... That this is the law school that passed and endorsed BEDS on a student and faculty level. (laughs) Recognizing that absent a critical imperialism settler colonialism lens, our work and this school's mission statement is void of value. That as Israel continues to indiscriminately rain bullets and bombs on worshipers, murdering the old, the young, attacking even funerals and graveyards as it encourages lynch mobs to target Palestinian homes and businesses as it imprisons its children, as it continues its project of settler colonialism, expelling Palestinians from their homes, carrying the ongoing Nakba that are silent is no, that our silence is no longer acceptable. 
We are. We are the student body and faculty that fought back when investor-focused admin attempted to cross the BDS picket line, saying loud and clear that Palestine can no longer be the exception to our pursuit of justice, that our morality will not be purchased by investors. And we did all of this in spite of the racism, in spite of the selective activism, the self-serving interests of CUNY Central, an institution that continues to fail us, that continues to train and cooperate with the fascist NYPD, the military, that continues to train IDF soldiers to carry out that same violence globally, a larger institution committed to its donors, not to its students. Right. So that was Fatima Mohammed um, speaking on May 12th at the CUNY Law commencement speech. And then in a statement on May 30th, the university categorized her address as hate speech and said they condemned such words. The following day, Mayor Eric Adams denounced her comments as well, her comments as well, saying, quote, if I was on that stage when those comments were made, I would have stood up and denounced them immediately. End quote. On the 1st of June, dozens of CUNY faculty sent a letter to the chancellor and the board of trustees requesting them to withdraw their statement against Mohammed. The CUNY controversy has been the subject of several screaming New York Post cover stories and has drawn the ire of Congress, including from Texas Senator Ted Cruz, Richie Torres, and Richie Torres, who is a Democrat from the Bronx. Also, Republican Congressman Mike Lawler from Upper State, New York, who vowed to craft legislation to strip all federal funding for CUNY. Last night, CUNY students, workers, and other allies disrupted a Board of Trustees meeting. Let's listen to some footage from that. And shame on the BOT for throwing one of their students under the bus. We are really so, outraged me, by the treatment of Fatima. Me, you came excuse, in the right wing press. The New York Post. Me. Who do you represent? Not CUNY. This is this is not what CUNY is about. Grassroots Palestinian group within our lifetime, known as WOL, has been central in organizing support for Mohammed. The organization launched a campaign called We Stand with Fatima. Now we are joined by Nardeen Kiswani, chair of Within Our Lifetime, which Mohammed, Fatima Mohammed, is also a member of. Welcome, Nardeen, to WBAI. Hi, Amba. Thanks for having me and for covering this important story. It's great to have you here on the Independent News Hour. So, Nardine, you have faced your own fair share of backlash. You also were elected to give a commencement speech at CUNY Law last year. Let's go to a quick clip from that. I am grateful to all of you, and I know that without you, I would not be here. In fact, there were many moments in the last three years where I thought I wasn't going to make it. I've been facing a campaign of Zionist harassment by well-funded organizations with ties to the Israeli government and military on the basis of my Palestinian identity and organizing. 
All right. So that was you, Nardine, speaking about not being sure if you were going to be able to give the speech itself because there was such a strong campaign against you um, once it was announced that you were going to be a speaker. So can you talk a little bit about that and then explain how you and Fatima were actually chosen um, by your peers to give these addresses? I'll start with your latter question because it's a little sure. easier. To Go answer. for it. Um, but like you mentioned, we're elected by our class. So, you know, community law has a full-time day program and it has a part-time evening program. Um, and Fatima and I were both elected by the full-time day class cohort, um, to be the speakers for their class. So it's not like, you know, some people call those valedictorians. Um, some people think that like we're elected by the school or invited by the school. No, we're elected by our peers because our peers know exactly what we stand for. And so, our speech is not just a reflection of our personal politics, but a reflection of what the graduating class believes in and wants to hear. And, you know, you can tell not just by the fact that they elected us as speakers, but the roaring applause um, during both speeches. So, um, you know, I faced a, a microcosm of what Fatima is facing now last year when I gave my speech um, before and after I was attacked by um, Zionist organizations um, and, you know, donors and funders of those organizations like the Adam Milstein, like Adam Milstein, um, who runs the Milstein Foundation that funds many of the Zionist organizations that attack Palestinian and other students on campus. And, you know, the, the, the type of attacks were the same, Islamophobic, anti-Palestinian, um, anti-Arab, racist, misogynistic, hateful in every way, shape or form. But of course, Fatima's was amplified even more by the New York Post doing two back-to-back front page covers on this story um, and politicians also fanning the flames. What's funny about Eric Adams attacking Fatima is that when he came, we turned our, I was at the graduation, by the way, I watched him give his speech and I watched Fatima give her speech live in person and people got up and turned their backs to Adams. We booed him. We heckled free Palestine, but of course that didn't make it into any of the press um, meanwhile, there was roaring applause from every single person for Fatima, not a single detractor. And, you know, nobody said anything negative about the speech for weeks after until, um, you know, right wing um, organizations and institutions like and publications like The Post and others um, attacked her. And of course, the CUNY Board of Trustees engaged in this conversation um, with The Post by releasing their own statement. They did something on a smaller level to me last year as well, uh, the chancellor of CUNY didn't call it hate speech, um, but he did say that my views are my own and they don't reflect that of the institution um, and that he doesn't support BDS or what I said. So um, this is just a predictable pattern of CUNY time and time again, throwing progressive students under the bus, um, scrambling to you know defend against accusations of anti-Semitism, which are unfounded. Um, not only by the content of her speech, but also the Jewish Law Student Association um, that are going to speak later on. So I won't talk about this too much. Repeatedly saying that, you know, this is not um, anti-Semitism. This is not what Jewish students are concerned about. Um, We're actually concerned about the the attacks that, you know, Palestinian students are facing. Um, But yeah, I think um, this is just a pattern that's going to continue to repeat itself and get worse. Um, if we don't stand up to CUNY to say enough is enough. Right, Nardine. But within our lifetime and other groups were able to actually push the university to re- repost or remake public the commencement speeches from this and last year. So tell us more about the We Stand with Fatima campaign 
um, and the action to disrupt the board of trustees meeting last night and, and other efforts you'd like to touch on? Yeah, we had a little more experience this time to put that campaign together, given that um, we had to mobilize similar efforts last year when city council held a so-called hearing on anti-Semitism, um, where they name dropped me. They talked about my speech multiple times. They compared me to the KKK and David Duke, um, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, you know, we knew to just kind of take from what we did last year um, to, you know, stand against that. And the broader We Stand with Nerdeen campaign, which, by the way, Fatima started. That whole campaign was Fatima's wow. idea. Um, and I just feel so honored to now, you know, have a similar campaign inspired by the same exact one that she started for me. But in her name, we stand with Fatima um, and getting, you know, as much support uh, for it, not just from the CUNY Jewish Law Students Association and, and um, SJP at the law school, but also the broader CUNY community. Every single SJP is signed on. We have faculty. Um, we have organizations that, you know, they're, they're, their main issue is not about Palestine. Um, like rank and file action, you know, um, union, unionizing efforts at CUNY, all of these progressive, um, movements coming together in defense, um, of Fatima free speech, um, and Palestine. And, um, we have over a thousand signatures. Um, I haven't checked it since last night, but every time I check it, it's like two, you know, another hundred signatures up, um, over a thousand signatures. We have almost every, stu- every, um, CUNY law student organization signed onto it. And a lot of community um, organizations as well um, that, you know, in the past tried to be a little bit apolitical or didn't talk about these mm-hmm. issues, but seeing where that's gotten us, seeing how, um, how Arab Muslim women can face such vitriolic hate um, and violence for speaking up for a cause that we all believe in um, really helped people come together for this and say, again, enough is enough. Right. And the CUNY School of Law Jewish Law Students Association, or JALSA, wrote a letter in support of Fatima on May 21st saying, quote, it is disingenuous to characterize these factual descriptions as anti-Semitic when they describe the conditions of Palestinian life. Uh, To talk more about this, uh, we're joined by Mitchell, a 2021 graduate of CUNY Law and a former member of JALSA, who has continued to be involved with the group. Mitchell, welcome to the Independent News Hour. How's it going? It's going good. It's great to have you with us and to join this conversation. Uh, can you talk about about why JALSA has taken part in the campaign to support Fatima? For sure. I mean, it's it's for a few reasons. The The first reason is because she's our classmate. She's our friend. We care about her. You know, quite frankly, the racist, Islamophobic, Zionist, misogynist campaign targeting her has been absolutely appalling and unfortunate. And, you know, and, and the university's decision to add on to that instead of condemning it and protecting their students is disgusting. And, and you know, our our chapter, our the Jewish Law Students Association has been absolutely disgusted by it. Um, but also... You know, we want to we want to clarify as the Jewish Law Students Association, because over the past few weeks of this entire, you know, hate campaign, we've had international and national Zionist organizations. We've had elected officials and public figures and professors at other universities, you know, 
talking about how this speech and, you know, Palestine organizing at CUNY Law is a threat to the safety of Jewish students and, you know, causes us to be fearful. And, you know, as the actual Jewish students at the school, that couldn't be further from the truth. We love her. That was, you know, her speech was wonderful and amazing. And it was a speech that many of the students at, at CUNY Law would have been, you know, happy to give. And, and she was voted to be the commencement speaker for a reason. And, you know, the, this idea that, you know, the threat to Jewish safety is coming from our classmate and friends and not from the racist people who have been coming onto our social media since this campaign started and calling us all matter of disgusting names, calling us capos, calling us Nazis, you know, all these disgusting words and calling us, you know, demanding to see the list, the member list of JALSA to dox us. You know, it's it's like the things that are threatening Jewish safety at CUNY are the people that are right now claiming to be speaking, you know, on our behalf and, and defending us. And so we felt it important to clarify this. And in our solidarity statement, we, we mentioned that, you know, the people who are claiming to be speaking our behalf are doing are doing so directly against our wishes. And, you know, that if the university wants to stand with Jewish students, it will do so by standing with its students and protecting the student who is being victimized by a racist, disgusting campaign of, you know, violent Islamophobia and slander and, and just hatred. Oh, thank you, Mitchell. So on the 31st of May, uh, Eric Adams hosted a Jewish American Heritage Month celebration, and that's where he denounced Muhammad in his speech. He also said, I'm so proud to be the mayor of the Tel Aviv of America. So there's a lot there. Um, and Nardine, you've already touched on this, but please expand on the power structures in the city and beyond that back Zionism. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Fatima's speech also did a good um a job of of showing the power structures that back Zionism. We know that the NYPD has an office in Jerusalem and that um through the deadly exchange program, NYPD and IDF soldiers um train together, US military trains together. And Eric Adams, uh being a former um NYPD officer himself is of course very aware of that. Um and his constant pandering to Zionists make it even more obvious. Not only um did he say that he's proud to be the mayor of Tel Aviv of America? He actually previously tweeted a few years ago that when he retires, he wants to retire um, in Palestine, like, you know, as a settler, basically. So, you know, it doesn't make him any different than the Zionist settlers that we're organizing against um, every single day. And um, it goes to show that, you know, everything was, that I was talking about in my speech, that Fatma was talking about, that these... Um, power structures really target and spend hundreds of thousands to target, um, you know, volunteer organizing to target individuals like ourselves who are simply speaking up for the freedom of our people, for the liberation of our homelands, for the end to settler colonialism. Uh, but of course, you know, that's not going to happen without getting, you know, majorly attacked by these institutions that whether it's the cops showing up at our protests to try to stop us, um, from protesting, which, by the way, this year, um, the the police that um, came to our NECBA protest actually said that they had an order from the mayor's office to make sure that we don't use sound and that we don't march. Um, and this is actually a, a divergence from the previous um, administration 
you know, not saying that he was any better, but, you know, they would kind of like just let us do our thing and not interfere um, as much. So it just goes to show that um, Eric Adams really does want to make New York um, a Zionist city once again, and that these power structures are always working against us, both sides of the U.S. political establishment, Republicans and Democrats, um, paper like the tabloid press to the actual university um, chancellor and administration. You know, that's not even a sentence that you would think you would put together, that all of these people united to attack one student who spoke up for Palestinian liberation. But I think those attacks illustrate exactly what we're fighting against, and they're going to have the opposite um, effect of instead of silencing us when it comes to Palestine, really exposing to the world um, what they're trying to silence. And when you look into it, um, you know, you realize the truth and you support Palestine. Right. And, and Nardine and uh, Mitchell, uh, you know, I mean, this has attracted a lot of uh, national scrutiny. And, you know, thinking about it, this, uh, to me, this demand that all criticism of Israel be strictly forbidden because it, it might make uh, Jewish students uncomfortable, uh, to me, brings to mind the actions taken by Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida to restrict what is taught in Florida schools. In that state, a teacher who teaches a history lesson, say about slavery or anything else that induces uh, anxiety in a child or makes them uncomfortable with their white identity, that teacher can face criminal charges. Now, the details of what's happening in Florida and what's happening here in New York are somewhat different, uh, but the underlying logic of repressing uncomfortable truths about oppression uh, seems similar. Uh, What do you think? Either, either of you. Yeah, I'll just, um, you know, quickly say that a lot of the criticism that Fatma's getting is that her speech is like indicative of critical race theory being taught at uh, schools, which it is taught at CUNY. And that's great. Before it was an issue, we didn't even know it was an issue, uh, you know, a nationwide, um, culture war or whatever when we were taught that. But, um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, people always talk about cancel culture and liberals being snowflakes and all these things when the only cancel culture that I've seen um, actually be effective has been against Palestinians. I don't really see any of these other people um, getting canceled for their hateful words. Um, I don't see people um, like Ron DeSantis, like even the president, uh, the presidents of this country um, getting canceled for their terrible actions for sexual assault. I mean, we have um, Andrew Cuomo, who's a disgraced sexual harasser. He's the one who appointed every single trustee on the board of trustees that's sitting right now. So the legacy of this yeah. person who sexually harassed his workers um, is still the environment that we have to live in at CUNY. And nobody's canceling that. No one canceled him. His brother still has his show. Um, meanwhile, you know, Palestinian and adjacent students um, are silenced, are, have to go into hiding when these kinds of things happening because of the death threats, the doxing, um, you know, things that I don't even want to speak about, um, on the show to not, um, exacerbate them. But I'll, I'll, uh, give the rest of this time to Mitch to see if you have had anything to add to that, Mitchell. Yeah, I think, I think, I think the connection to the attacks happening against critical race theory and gender studies are really important because, you know, the, we're talking a lot about anti-Semitism right now, and none of this is actually about anti-Semitism. The, the people, the organizations, the forces, many of whom 
you know, are not connected to CUNY in any way, who are, you know, using this situation to call for the defunding of CUNY and get, you know, get anti-Semitism out of CUNY. You know, they've been doing that for, for decades. They've been targeting CUNY and leftist activism, you know, for years. And, and the idea that this is just a situation with, where they, you know, have a handhold to grab onto, which is the, this commencement speech that they're using to do exactly what they wanted to do already. If you talk to, you know, a lot of these people three weeks ago and ask them if we should defund CUNY Law School, they would have said yes, even before, you know, this commencement speech. So I think the connection to the attacks against, you know, just other forms of, you know, radical thought and radical theory, I, I think that is really important to make because, you know, these attacks, despite, despite the fact that they're sort of about anti-Semitism, they're not actually about anti-Semitism. Right. And, and uh, Mitch, I just wanted to follow up on that thought. Uh, Israel and its supporters have been pushing in international human rights bodies for critis- criticism of the uh, Israeli state to be uh, deemed anti-Semitic. And, and, and they have then fought to get uh, national governments behind this standard as well. And uh, I mean, besides this uh, being uh, uh, dishonest, uh, can you talk about how it, uh, in our current contest, Context is deeply dangerous given that it's the far right and the MAGA movement uh, that are currently a hotbed of virulent anti-Semitism that depicts Jews as the scheming mastermind, masterminds behind efforts to inundate this country with dark-skinned immigrants who will destroy traditional white Christian America. And that's where the real anti-Semitism is. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. I mean, the goal of the movement to define anti-Semitism and to, you know, for instance, the International Holocaust Remembrance Association or Alliance's definition of anti-Semitism to, you know, adopt that in different student bodies and governmental organizations. The goal of that movement is is not to do anything to protect Jewish people or do anything to, you know, defend Jewish people from anti-Semitism. The goal is to put a to put pressure on any situation where someone opposes Zionism or criticizes Israel or opposes Israel. The goal is to make it where anytime a situation arises where someone criticizes Israel, now we're having a lengthy conversation litigating whether or not it's anti-Semitic and, you know, determining, oh, well, her her statement said exactly this. Does that meet the, you know, does that meet the definition? But, but I want to note that you know, none of this is about is about anti-Semitism. The goal here is not to defend Jews. It is to create a situation that makes discussing Palestinian liberation impossible because it's it's completely, you know, it's completely bombarded by people who are talking about anti-Semitism and talking about, you know, the safety of Jewish students. You know, for instance, there was a two year old Palestinian recently murdered. And. And, you know, it, it just feels so wrong that any top, you know, when you bring that up, people talk about, oh, this is anti-Semitic tropes. This is blood libel. This is anti-Semitism. And so it, it, it makes it it's a it's an effort to make it impossible to literally just explain the literal existence of Palestinians and what is being done to them. Right. Uh, well said, Mitchell. 
So both of you, Nardine and Mitchell, uh, CUNY Law's slogan is the City University of New York, Law and the Advice and the Advance of Human Needs, um, as Fatima said in her speech. So it's also one of the only affordable law schools in the city. Um, can both of you quickly talk about why you were drawn to the school and then how that relates to uh, your fight against the university's censorship of pro-Palestinian speech? I think there's some ironies there. Yeah, as a Palestinian, I always knew that you know, no matter what I say, no matter how much I try to appease, um, you know, liberal sensibilities about Palestine, I was going to be called anti-Semitic um, as long as I believe that Palestine should be free, no matter what, even if I didn't, just by being Palestinian. Um, I know that that happened. So I went to CUNY Law because it branded itself as a social justice law school, as a number one public interest law school in the country. And I thought, surely, if this is not the one place um, that a Palestinian can thrive in a, in a legal environment in New York City, then there is no, um, law school other than that for me to go to. It's actually the only place, um, that I applied to as a lifelong New Yorker and, uh, lifelong CUNY student. I went to CUNY in undergrad, um, as well. And, you know, in many ways it did ring true because as you can see, we have the support of the students. We have the support of the faculty, but the administration continues to undermine us. And then really it's CUNY central. The Board of Trustees obviously doesn't just represent CUNY law, but all 24 um, CUNY campuses. And it's them that continue to undermine us um, and throw us under the bus. Um, you know, this relates to my fight um, against the university censorship of pro-Palestinian speech, because th- these are these are the legal tools that we're going to be learning to defend against accusations like this, to defend students um, who are being kicked out of their universities, who are being silenced, censored, who are being, who have their speech chilled for this. You know, we have, um, a person at Palestine Legal now who was actually a CUNY law, um, student as well that's, you know, defending us, um, on these claims. So, you know, this is exactly what we went, um, to the school to fight for. And it's sad that, um, they're not reflecting that. Mitchell, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I think I think CUNY Law School is this really interesting institution where um, I think it absolutely is an institution. And a lot of the stuff that comes with that is is still there and, and the same as other law schools. But it has a lot of really amazing professors, really amazing students who are doing amazing work and who go on to become wonderful public defenders, tenants, rights attorneys, um, you know, advocates for the press in, in all forms and movement attorneys and and so I think, you know, the the censorship of pro-Palestine speech that is happening at CUNY is not happening from the students. It's not happening from the professors. Um, it, it's oftentimes happening from outside structures and from structures who, you know, I don't really think even get what makes CUNY law CUNY law. And, you know, that's what I want to highlight. The, the student body stands with Fatima. The, the faculty stands with Fatima. And, you know, that the the. The censorship of pro-Palestinian speech, that is that is happening against the wishes of the students and the faculty. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mitchell, former member of the law, Jewish Law Students Association, or JALSA, and Nardine Kaswani, chair of Within Our Lifetime Palestine, for joining us here on WBAI. You can find Within Our Lifetime Palestine on Instagram at WOL Palestine. And JALSA at CUNY, C-U-N-Y, J-L-S-A. So we are going to take a short break and we'll be back with more of the Independent News Hour. Thank you for listening.
لو زغرد صوت البارود شفت السماء مضوية لقلوب السماء رعود هذول فلسطينية لو زغرد صوت البارود شفت السماء مضوية لقلوب السماء رعود هذول فلسطينية في إن تهجرنا واحتلوا أرض الأجداد وبلادي مش أي بلاد أرض النخوي والأمجاد That was a, pro, a Palestinian a protest song. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI, unmuted, and we're still going here. And um, uh, uh, I'm also joined by my co-host, Amr Gagarian. And uh, before we continue on, we want to encourage everybody who can do so to please support this radio station. You can do so by calling the phone number 212-209-2950 or going online to give the number to WBAI.org. Again, you can call 212-209-2950 or go online to give the number to WBAI.org uh, to give uh, a contribution one time or recurring to uh, WBAI listener-sponsored radio the only fully listener-sponsored station uh, in the New York <coughs> region airwaves. And that means that uh, nobody is controlling the news that we report to you. Uh, so please help us keep that uh, unique, unique aspect um, and advantage on air. You can help do so by calling 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. Or go online to give the number to WBAI.org. And every dollar you give goes a long way at WBAI. Uh, the station runs on a shoestring budget uh, with a, a minimal staff. Uh, you know, we're, it's amazing that it's been able to persevere through the past few years. Uh, it's had some financial difficulties, but... Enough listeners like yourself have stood with this station, have picked up that phone and called 212-209-2950 or gone online to give number two WBA, uh, give number two, give number two WBAI.org. And, uh, you know, we, we need you to do that again. We had a short fund drive the past couple of weeks, uh, but if you didn't give during that fund drive, well, now's a great time to give. Uh, 212-209-2950. Uh, you get to hear voices like we just heard, uh, uh, independent uh, voices from uh, important social movements here in the city, uh, uh, like uh, we heard uh, from uh, Nerdine Kazmani and from Mitchell from the Jewish Law Students Association um, at CUNY and Nermeen with, with our law, 
within our lifetime Palestine. And in our in next segment in a minute, we're going to hear uh, from a labor organizer with a really important group, uh, the Emergency Worker uh, Organizing Committee. Uh, but one more time, uh, 212-209-2950 or give number two WBAI.org. And so we will pivot here and, and talk about labor organizing in New York City. Uh, labor unions, according to all public uh, opinion surveys we're seeing, are more popular than any time they've been in more than 50 years, uh, close to 70% uh, public support. And among uh, young people, that support uh, approaches 80%. But it's one thing to support the idea of uh, labor unions or belonging to a labor union. It's another thing to get organized and to be able to uh, benefit from the the power that comes with belonging to a union and having a union. And one group that's uh, really playing a fascinating role at this moment is uh, Emergency Worker Organizing Committee, or EWOC. Uh, it started during the pandemic uh, as a hotline for uh, essential workers to call that uh, were you know, having all sorts of challenges at work and were trying to figure out what to do. And Join us today to talk about what EWOC is up to because they continue to be very active. Is uh, Samuel Fleischman? He's an organizer with the EWOC here in New York City. But Samuel, welcome to WBAI ninety nine point five FM. Hi, John. Uh, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, sure. Uh, so, um, can you just elaborate a little bit more about EWOC's origins and what it uh, what it is and what is the need that it has been meeting? Sure. So uh, Ewok started uh, in the midst of the pandemic in early 2020. Um, it basically started very naturally, organically. There was a lot of organizers uh, on the left labor movement and people, uh, actually a lot of people were working on the end of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And naturally, uh, a lot of these people were getting a huge influx of uh, messages and DMs from workers, uh, a lot of frontline and essential workers asking for support because they were dealing with lack of PPE equipment, um, unsafe condition, working conditions, uh, and they didn't know what to do. So it sort of happened, you know, in a rapid response organic moment that a bunch of uh, smart people got together and basically created like, a get support form, like a hotline for if you have, are having issues at your workplace, um, you can contact us and we'll get back to you within 48 hours and we'll sort of, you know, figure out the best response for your working situation and, uh, and, and help you, uh, help you build power in your workplace. So that's how it initially started. And then, you know, it just sort of, it, it met the moment. I think we've all seen in the last, two to three years that this, there's been this huge uptick in labor upsurge, as they call it, of uh, workers uh, being upset about their working conditions and wanting to make a change and, and wanting to have voice and respect in their workplace um, and not really knowing uh, where to go, not having the resources uh, or the experience to know about labor law or their rights or sort of the fundamentals of organizing and how to, how to, you know, build collective power and change their workplace. Um, you know, the labor organized labor movement has sort of been on a downward trend for several decades. So uh, a lot of, you know, 
union locals, uh, if you go to their website, for instance, it's like a website from 1998 and they, you know, there's no contact information for an organizer. There's definitely no like easy to fill out, get support form. So, uh, workers were sort of left without the resources and experts sort of to help them along in their journey. And so that's the sort of role that Ewok played. Um, and we've been playing that role since the pandemic and it's really grown out of, uh, that era of sort of virtual organizing and remote organizing to where we are now with people like me and a group of folks uh, who are starting Ewok chapters around the country and providing on the ground sort of physical uh, organizing support for workers. So, Sam, Ewok offers a variety of support and resources to workers who um, are disgruntled or want to organize at uh, their job. Everything from, you know, here's how you organize a single issue campaign. Maybe you're not ready to uh, organize the full union, but you can do a single issue campaign around a pay raise or whatever it is. Um, and then also you might suggest somebody to join and already uh, or you might, you know, help someone join, uh, try to join an already established union having uh, you know, a union vote at their workplace and then join an already established union, or they might start their own independent union like we see with Trader Joe's workers, with Amazon workers, um, et cetera. So there's a lot of working options there. Uh, does working with Ewok give you uh, more freedom as an organizer than it would to work at um, a more entrenched bureaucratic um, union? And can you just talk about that? Uh, it, it definitely does. I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you think about one of the, one of the messages you want to sort of say as a, as a worker, right? Or if you're talking to workers is that, you know, the union is the workers. So I think over time we've sort of forgotten that the, the power of organized workers, you know, comes from, comes from collective action and a group of people getting together and, uh, having common interests and common goals and fighting together. Um, so, if we, if we hold that, you know, true, then, you know, Ewok is a sort of vehicle to allow workers that are already acting like a union, even if they haven't been certified, you know, by the NLRB or taken certain legal steps, they're acting like a union. Um, and Ewok has the freedom to sort of advise them, um, and, and offer support, whether it's legal support, um, research requests and research support or, or media spokes prep, a, a host of things. It's, it's all in the best interest of those workers. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, lots, lots of workers, uh, in campaigns we've supported end up, um, affiliating with unions. Um, some have started their own independent unions. And, and at the end of the day, whether it's your own union or you're joining a, a, a union local, if you're keeping sort of that idea that, you know, we are, we as the workers are the union and we can sort of decide for ourselves as rank and file workers. Uh, what's, what, 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 what we want our future to be, then, then the sky's the limit, really. So yeah, Ewok, um, doesn't have relationships, um, with any, you know, unions. Some unions have like worker centers that are affiliated with them. For us, it's really about, um, what's best for the workers. And that freedom, um, allows us to sort of like offer different advice or different pathways that, you know, other unions might not be able to, to offer. So, um, yeah. Right. And, uh, Ewok is, uh, currently has 250 active union organizing campaigns going on nationwide, which is incredibly impressive. Uh, but can you tell us more about some of the successful union organizing efforts, uh, that Ewok has led here in New York? 
Sure, I'd love to. Um, so funny enough, we're actually doing uh, putting on a, our first in-person training for, for Ewok in New York uh, in June in the next few Saturdays. Um, and we're having some workers come who've, who've been supported by Ewok and successfully organized and successfully formed unions uh, coming to speak. So, for instance, uh, there's the Vital Climbing Gym Union. So this is a uh, a smaller chain of, of climbing gyms uh, in the city, some in Brooklyn, some uptown in Manhattan. Um, and a worker got in touch with us uh, over a year ago at the uptown location um, and was connected with uh, one of our volunteer organizers. And basically through the process of them learning about union organizing and building an, an organizing committee and talking to all their coworkers about their issues and building alignment, they successfully formed a union and uh, with Workers United, uh, which is a affiliate of SEIU, um, and they won their election, and that was great. And actually, now uh, they've gone on to file another election with a second climbing gym location. So you really see the power of this growing because when it's when it's led by workers and it's workers who have the tools uh, and know how to organize, uh, it makes it so much easier for them to talk to workers at a different location if it's a chain because they've gone through those experiences. In this case, you know, these, these climbing gym workers know the ins and outs of what that workplace is like, what the struggles are, uh, and it makes it a lot con- more conducive to, to successful organizing. So, um, that was successful. Um, we've also did, this is also very recently, but the, um, uh, the first uh, standalone New York City pizzeria uh, is is uh, unionizing, um, and they actually it, it's Barbancino, uh Pizzeria in Crown Heights, and they just filed for their union election about two weeks ago, and uh, they're a really great group of uh, workers. Uh, I would uh, tell everyone here you can go on uh, Jacobin website uh, or Jacobin magazine, and there's a great article written by Ops Press about their organizing journey and their story and how they were able to, uh, to, to, uh, successfully organize. So, um, I, I'll, sh- I'll I want to shout out just two more because, and I could keep sure. going, but there's, there's also this great, uh, uh, online therapist group, um, for the national eating disorder Alliance, uh, the NIDA helpline, uh, associates union, uh, and the worker actually leading that campaign, uh, had contacted, um, Zoran Mandami's office in Queens, um, last year with a sort of issue about, um, how could they organize their workplace? And, and Zoran is, so- a, is a, a socialist and an assembly member uh, from uh, Queens, represents yeah. a district out there, correct? Yes, correct. So, uh, he, uh, th- their team sort of has, you know, heard and, and knows about Ewok now. So she was able to connect with, with uh, another Ewok volunteer organizer, and uh, the same thing, you know, over time was able to organize uh, her coworkers, and they filed for an election. But I just want to point out, just you know, because this is a more complex story, and people can also Google this, um, that they successfully filed for an election and won, and then the employer, um, these were online, you know, therapists. They they fired all of the therapists. Um, Replace them with a chatbot. So I just want people to think about um, sort of what links employers will go to to sort of protect their profits and and how they sort of will disregard workers. And that was here in New York that they replaced the workers with the chatbot. 
Yeah, that, that was here in New York. And that, uh, and that's not because there was also these. Sorry to interrupt, but the, I have to draw this connection briefly. There was also an eating disorder helpline um, that fired its staff when they said they were going to unionize and transition to chatbot. And then within like two weeks, they had to take down the chatbot because there was such a slew of terrible responses. But I guess this right. is a widespread issue because these are different instances. So continue. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, right. When has a chatbot ever had to actually <sighs> deal with an eating disorder? <sighs> yeah, it just sort of goes to show that, um, you know, it's for workers to keep in mind, too, you know, because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening in right now is that, you know, your employer will show their true colors uh, when put to the when put to the to the iron, you know, when, when faced with pressure, they'll show that they they. You know, they care about uh, maintaining the status quo, maintaining their profits, um, because there's no way that a, a chat bot could do what a, what a human does and, and sort of, you know, talking to another human being about their experiences. So, um, yeah, um, those are those are a couple of stories. Um, uh, I could go on. You know, Ewok has also been sort of helping the Trader Joe's workers and supporting some campaigns in the city. Uh, there's a very uh, unfortunate uh, union election earlier this year where Trader Joe's workers uh, filed at the Essex store in lower Manhattan um, and they actually tied. So they tied their election 76-76. It would have been the first Trader Joe's United, so that's the independent union uh, in New York City. It would have been one of the first new grocery stores to unionize in the city in a long time. It's really hard to organize a, a shop that big. Uh, and then some weird you know, some people know this too. In a tie, the tie goes to the employer. It's just right. A rule. Yeah, we we have a story about that uh, uh, in our current print edition. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a, a tough loss. And uh, um, uh, Amba, I know you reported on, on that uh, story, but uh, we will have to go here in another uh, minute or so. So, sure. uh, Sam, can you tell us a little bit more about these trainings? Uh, that are going to be held at the People's Forum by Ewok over the next two Saturdays. Uh, wh- what y'all are going to cover um, in these trainings and how people can uh, get involved if they want uh, to want to join. Sure. So um, if you go to uh, to hear about to learn more about the trainings, you can go to uh, the organized workers or e- Ewok uh, Twitter account and there'll be some posts about that. Um, maybe afterwards, if there's a way to follow up with some links on the trainings themselves. But yes, they're going to be at the People's Forum this Saturday and the next Saturday from 10 a.m. to 1.30. So uh, this is a cornerstone of, of Ewok's organizing model. Um we hold these trainings online uh, now six times a year, um, and we've tr- we've helped train thousands of workers on sort of the organizing fundamentals. Um, and we're really excited to now do this in person because uh, in-person organizing and getting to meet people, um, build relationship is really powerful. So uh, the Ewok training is split into uh, essentially four parts, uh, and it, we basically run you through sort of the A to Z of how to build rank and file power at workplace how to build uh, towards collective action, whether that's um, a petition or whether that's filing for a union election. Um, it's really laying the groundwork for like how, what, what's the best, uh, the best keys to, to success for organizing. And the way we do it is we bring together some really great volunteer Ewok organizers, um, people who've had multiple successful campaigns and, 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 uh, 
And then we, we pair them with workers who've also organized successfully. So all the campaigns I just talked about, including, and, and in addition more, workers will be there sort of talking through the content, talking about their experience and really breaking down in a simple way. Cause you know, sometimes this gets complicated and there's words people don't understand. And we try and make it a very popular education style about, you know, this is really at the end of the day about like how you can build community at your workplace, how you talk to your coworkers about sensitive issues um, and how you sort of get over a lot of real fears and anxieties and struggles that, that workers have to deal with in, in, right. uh, in when, when they start to organize. So um, it's broken down into four parts and then right. we, uh, we, we have to wrap up here, but um, okay. yeah. So um, uh, Samuel Fleischman, a uh, uh, organizer with Ur- Emergency Worker Organizing Committee, uh, thank you so much for joining us this evening on WBAI Radio. Appreciate it, John and Emma. Thank you. Yeah. Right. So we have to go here in a moment, but I just want to encourage everybody to uh, stay on 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 ninety nine point five FM. Um, at, at the top of the hour, we'll have the uh, half hour edition of Democracy Now, followed by uh. uh interpersonal update with Harriet Fraud. And then there will be a special show from seven to nine uh, PM. And, and then at uh, from nine to 10 cat radio cafe and the sweet spot from 10 to 12 PM. So uh, more great uh, public affairs programming followed by uh, music programming later this evening, all here on WBAI 99.5 FM and Amba, what's our uh, musical outro going to be t- this evening? We're going to hear Jeanne by Miles Davis, which was uh, for a soundtrack uh, that he made for the 1958 French film Elevator to the Gallows. Mm-hmm. 